Well, good morning, Faith Church. Great to be here with you again this week. Uh, I've been asked to speak uh, for three weeks, last week being the first, this week and the following, uh, giving you uh, some perspective as you prepare for this pastoral transition. And so we're gaining perspective uh, primarily by looking at the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we were in chapter 1 last week. We'll be in chapter 3 this week. So you can turn there if you have a Bible. Um, before we dig in, though, let me uh, give you some uh, proper expectations on today's message. All right? I know this is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all of you out there who are mothers. Um, this is not a really tender, mushy Mother's Day message. I apologize. Um, I just want to put it out there at the outset so you're not disappointed. Um, I've had some Mother's Day duds in my time, I'll say. Uh, I remember I was preaching one uh, year, uh, one spring, through the Ten Commandments. And I confess, Mother's Day escaped me in my planning. And sure enough, a week rolled around, and I had my message prepared, and realized, I'm preaching, do not commit adultery on Mother's Day. <laughs> it was not a winner. Um, hopefully today won't be that bad, all right? So 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, um, I actually think proper expectations is a good way to begin this message because expectations matter a lot. And I want you all to have proper expectations as you prepare for pastoral transition. Um, I was reminded of a story of a church in rural Pennsylvania. And uh, this church in rural Pennsylvania had been going for quite some time. And they had a visitor one week show up and he came in, kind of typical church building, uh, as the service began, fairly typical service. But then after some of the singing, the whole congregation stood up, turned around backwards. Well, I guess it would be you turning around that way, backwards. And they all recited the Apostles' Creed facing backwards. And this guy thought, well, that's kind of odd. I know the Apostles' Creed, uh, but I've never seen it done that way. So after the service, he began asking people, how come you turn around backwards and recite the Apostles' Creed? And they said, uh, we don't know. We've always done it that way. And he, being a curious sort, began to dig into the church's history a little bit. And he discovered that a couple decades prior, there had been a real move of God in that community. There had been a, a large population increase because the industry had flourished during that time. And a number of the people who were working in the factories had come to Christ and had joined the church. And they did not know the Apostles' Creed. So they had hung a banner on the back wall so everyone could turn around, read it. Well, over the years, uh, decorations had changed. The banner had come down. The practice had remained the same. And so they all had this expectation that every Sunday we turn around and recite the Apostles' Creed. No problem with the practice, but they had lost the reason for why they did it. And as you walk through pastoral transition, I really want uh, the why of calling a pastor to be anchored in God's word for you. And so I want to walk through a couple basic things today about understanding the role of leaders in God's church and understand the nature of God's church so that you can have proper expectations as you prepare to call a pastor. Uh, let's read uh, 1 Corinthians 3. I'll read this, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 17. Uh, I'll pray and then we'll dig in. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. 
And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let's pray. Lord, we sang uh, earlier this morning, uh, that our foundation is Christ the cornerstone. That you, Jesus, are the foundation of the church. It is you who is building the church. It is you who provides the growth. And we know that you are sovereignly working in this church today. So God, I pray that you would speak through your word and by your spirit. I pray that what is uh, said here today would be of you. Anything that is not, I pray that it would be not remembered And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to lead this church to accomplish the works that you have prepared for it. So God, please accomplish your will today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul begins in the first four verses of chapter three uh, by reminding us of the problem we addressed last week in chapter one, the problem of leader uh, of division in the church based on different perspectives on the leaders that God had used a number of leaders over the course of the church's history, and everyone had a different personal preference of the leader they preferred or connected best to. And so Paul reminds us again of this problem. Now, last week, we looked at a solution that the unity Paul calls the Corinthian church to, and that I'm calling you to today, is based in the message of the cross. That the message of the cross is that Christ and Christ alone has paid for our sins. No human leader has done that. Christ has accomplished on the cross what we could not accomplish for ourselves. And so we are unified in that we are all sinners in need of forgiveness. And Christ's sacrifice is enough for all of us. And so there is unity in the cross. We looked at that last week. Now Paul brings up the issue again because he's pointing to a second reason for unity. A second thing that we need to really understand clearly if we're going to walk in unity in Christ's church. Uh, verse 5 through 8 uh, brings out this second principle where Paul says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? 
servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Paul is beginning to set proper expectations for leaders in Christ's church. And before I dive right into these verses, let me give a little aside here. And that is the New Testament concept of leadership is always in the context of community. That there is a community of leaders that God calls his church to function in. Um, Paul's practice uh, evidenced this, that Paul was an apostle and he uh, planted a number of churches in the Mediterranean area. He had come to Corinth. He had preached the gospel. People had come to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, a church was formed. But Paul didn't remain very long, about a year and a half in Corinth, and then he moved on. And a lot of Paul's letters are written back to churches that he had started. And he saw his work not being as the way the church always had to function, but as the foundation. And so to these churches, he would tell them, um, now you need to build upon the foundation. There needs to be more leaders, a plurality of leaders. Matter of fact, Paul wrote uh, to Titus in Titus 1.5, we see his desire for leaders in the local church. He said, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Paul intends that the church would have elders. The word there is overseers. And actually in the New Testament, elder and pastor are the same root word. All right, there's no distinction there. That there be spiritual overseers in the church. Not a singular overseer, but a plurality of overseers. And I think we all know why. I mean, no human leader has it all together. We all have shortcomings. We all have imperfections. We need a community of leaders to help smooth off our rough edges and provide a collective sense of how God is speaking to the church. Uh, I'm thankful that this church has that happening here. Um, last week, uh, Brent, Pastor Brent talked about the season we're in, and he urged uh, the church to embrace the awkwardness. And I appreciated that statement. And I want to say that's probably not possible if it were not for the strong leadership of the leaders that are here. Uh, your staff is doing a phenomenal job, and I really appreciate their humility and their service and their leadership. The shepherding team are prayerfully discerning how God is leading here. There's a lot of wisdom in how they have put together a discernment team uh, to, send, to get a real sense of how God is leading in this church. There is a community of leaders already functioning in this church. So I know we're really having uh, thinking about pastor right now. Because uh, we are in the need of calling a pastor. But always keep in mind that the leadership in the local church is intended to be a plurality of leaders. And it's fine to have a, a singular leader that is the senior pastor, but always functioning within a community of leaders. My aside is done. Let's jump back into the text. Uh, so the principle here that Paul unpacks is that leaders in God's church are servants used by God to accomplish his purposes. This is the expectation we should all have, that leaders in Christ's church are servants used by God 
to accomplish his purposes. And the reason Paul has to remind the Corinthians of this is that the culture of leadership in Corinth was not servant leadership. Corinth was a place um, that highly prized performance. I mentioned last week there was an 18,000-seat amphitheater in Corinth and a 3,000-seat concert hall. And all the latest performers would come through. The people loved to see the person up there on the stage. So leadership to them was about celebrity and performance, gathering a large crowd. And Paul is reminding them that leadership in Christ's kingdom is not so much about who's up front and who's on top, but leaders are to be like Christ, who himself picked up a towel and washed feet and then went to the cross. What is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. This is the first kind of application here of this principle, that leaders in Christ's church are servants, that we shouldn't think too highly of pastors in Christ's church. Now, we're going to get to the other one in a minute here, all right? But this can be a tendency, is to have an unrealistic view of human leaders. Um, that was the case in the Corinthian culture. I was thinking about this issue of, of uh, expectations this past week. I was uh, at my parents' house uh, just last night celebrating Mother's Day with my mom. And I was reminded of a uh, conversation I had around their dining room table a number of years ago. Uh, we were celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary. And I have two younger sisters. Uh, they're married. They have families. So we're all gathered around the table together. And um, my brother-in-law, Nick, says to my dad, uh, Dan, uh, any advice for us? Uh, 40 years of marriage? Uh, any advice you have to share? Well, what's your secret? And my dad uh, looks at us and says, low expectations. <laughs> now, my dad is a kind man, far kinder than I am. They have a great marriage. So we were all taken aback. And this is, Dad's not a, 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 a one to joke like that. And then we looked over at my mom thinking, oh, no, Dad's blowing it. And she's nodding in agreement. I'm like, what is going on here? So we probed a little deeper. And Dad was not trying to put my mom down. Uh, what he was trying to tell us is that my mom was not his savior, that he did not expect my mom to complete his every need. Instead, he was cho choosing to be a Christ-like husband who lives to serve her. I think many marriages blow up because one spouse expects the other to complete them. An expectation that only their savior can fulfill. And I think the same kind of thing happens in the church when people expect the pastor to spiritually fulfill them. Many people go from church to church looking for a pastor to fulfill their spiritual need when only their savior can meet that need. Pastors are servants, not saviors. We shouldn't think too highly of them. Uh, pastors are sinners. Uh, Eugene Peterson, pastor and author, wrote this, that every congregation is a congregation of sinners. And as if that weren't bad enough, they all have sinners for pastors. Every pastor is a sinner. And every pastor also is incomplete in his gifting. No pastor has all the gifts. They'll be strong in one area and weak in others. And so we shouldn't think too highly of any one human leader in Christ's church. Now, the other side of the coin is that we should not think too little 
of pastors in Christ's church. And for some people, that is their tendency, not the other one. Um, in this sense, we should not treat pastors merely as the church employees to perform the official vocational duties of a pastor, which I describe as hatch, match, and dispatch. You know, babies, midlife, and end of life. You see what Paul said here? He didn't end with the word servant in describing Apollos and in describing Paul. He said, they're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. You know, Paul had to remind them that, yes, these are simply servants. They cannot cause the growth in people's lives. That's God's job. But God used these human leaders to call them to faith in Jesus Christ. And then he said, and it's the Lord that they belong to, that assigned them their work. And so a pastor's calling is not from a congregation, it's from the Lord. The congregation discerns the Lord's calling on a pastor. And so Apollos and Paul, all the other leaders, the Lord had assigned their work to them. So we shouldn't think too lowly as if pastors are merely church employees. They're called by God for the task he has for them to accomplish. So we shouldn't think too high nor too low. Uh, matter of fact, Paul goes a little further on this in the next chapter, in chapter 4. In chapter 4, uh, verse 16, he actually tells the Corinthians to be imitators of him. Now, that's a pretty gutsy statement. Uh, I would rather tell you all today, listen to my teaching, all right? And truth be told, I don't want you to imitate all of my life. I'm not perfect. But Paul was not just being brash here. This is what a Christian leader should be able to say. It is not just my words. It is my life you should follow. And so we shouldn't think too lowly of a pastor as if it's just a mouth, he's just a mouthpiece. It should be the words and the life that we are to take into account and follow after. I like to say it this way. Um, let your next pastor be your pastor not just the pastor of the church you attend. Do you see the difference there? If he's your pastor, there's a sense of he knows my life, speaking into my life. Now, it shouldn't just be your pastor. You should have other people, small group leaders, elders. There's a plurality of leaders, remember. But I think the tendency in our Western culture is to simply allow our pastor to run the organization and to speak the message. And not allow the pastor to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Um, let me let me try to tease this out a little further. Uh, how many of you here are New England Patriot fans? All right. I know I'm breaking the cardinal rule of using a sports analogy on Mother's Day. But I have, I, I have full permission to do this because my wife is a bigger Patriots fan than I am. And I'm a big Patriots fan. But she's so rabid that we evaluate who we can have over to watch with us because we're nervous how they're going to respond to her, all right? Um, I like to blame it on the fact that she's from Maine, all right? She grew up in Lewiston. I'm a New Hampshire boy. So I, I, and any of her real hardiness, I say, that, that, that's Maine coming out, right, Wendy? She appreciates that. Anyway, um, the reason I bring up the Patriots is because being a New Englander, I really appreciate Coach Belichick. I like his crustiness. Uh, I like the fact that he does not give a straight answer to the media. Now, if you go uh, to the uh, churches in the southern Connecticut that I also uh, visit, um, they're not Patriot fans. 
So, so this does not work for them, all right? Matter of fact, they boo me when I give this uh, illustration. It's happened. Um, I enjoy watching the Patriots. I appreciate Coach Belichick, but I appreciate him because he helps my team win. I like the success they have. Now, if he starts tanking, if there's three years of really poor performance, I'm going to say, let's get a new coach. Because I don't have any particular loyalty to him. He's not my coach. I'm a fan of the team he coaches. And I think many people treat the pastor that way. As long as things in the church are going great, I'm a fan. But he's not my coach, my pastor. And this, biblically, is how shepherding works. A shepherd knows the sheep. A shepherd leads the sheep. A shepherd speaks into the life of the sheep. So allow your next pastor to speak into your life, even ways that may be uncomfortable. He's doing it to care for your soul. Not too high, not too low. Pastors are servants used by God to accomplish his purpose. Uh, Paul then goes on after giving us a proper expectation on leaders in Christ's church to give us a, a proper uh, understanding of what Christ's church is. And you may be surprised by this. Um, you know, shouldn't we all just know what the church is? I think we actually do drift from the biblical understanding of the nature of the church. And Paul reminds us here. In verse 9, he says, We are God's fellow workers. He's referring to the, the Christian leaders that have come through Corinth. Then he says, You are God's field, God's building. A couple things here. First, you are God's field, God's building. Not Apollos's, not Paul's, not the congregation. The church belongs to God. And you know why the church belongs to God? He paid for it with the blood of Jesus. It was a price none of us could pay. But all too often, in function, we kind of default to seeing humans as owners of the church, be it the leadership or be it the congregation. None of us own the church. The church belongs to God. We are the church. We exist for him and then to serve the world. And we see that teased out in the metaphors Paul uses. He says, we're like a field and we're like a building or a temple to be specific. A field is something that's alive and growing and reproducing, that the church is alive, that as we grow, we bear fruit. It creates more seeds and more uh, plants grow, that the church is to be reproducing and blessing. A field does not you know, eat from itself. Others come and take from the field and they're fed. We are salt and light in the world. We exist to bless the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. So the church does not exist for itself. We exist for God and for the world. And then the church is like a, a building. And Paul says in verses 16 and 17 that we are specifically a temple. That the Holy Spirit dwells within the church. So we're the dwelling place of God. I mean, look around you now. You probably didn't come here this morning thinking, well, I'm going to meet with the dwelling place of God. And that's not this building. That's not this worship service. That's the people you see around you. That the church is God's people filled with his presence. And through these people, God is going to minister to the world. Do you see the difference that makes in your understanding? Now, if the church is God's and it is God's people, then it really affects how the church functions. Now, we often use the phrase, um, you know, I'm going to church today. Or take me to church. 
These phrases really misconstrue the true nature of what the church is. Because by those phrases, we merely mean a worship gathering in a building. As if church is something we can consume once a week, get our spiritual fix, and go on with our life. But church is not that. Church is God's people. That wherever you go, you are the church. You are the church at your place of work. You are the church in the neighborhood. We are the church, and God is working through us to bring others to himself. So this really affects the role of a pastor. That a pastor is not just a performer of a once-a-week service. A pastor is the gardener in God's field, equipping so that more fruit is born. Is a builder, building so there are more rooms and more space for others to come in. And so a pastor, the pastoral task is deeply affected by our understanding of what the church is. Now, in verses uh, 10 through 11, we begin to see a little further about why God uses different leaders in the building and the growing of his church. He says in verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul uses this building metaphor here, saying the church is being built, that he came in and he laid a foundation. Uh, maybe those of you that are contractors really can understand. You know, Paul did the initial spade work. The foundation was dug. Uh, the seed of the gospel was planted. That first community came together in Christ, believing the gospel, and then Paul moved on. Now, in the next season, they didn't need another hole dug, another foundation poured. They needed to build upon the foundation. And God brought in Apollos, a different kind of leader for a different season of ministry. God still does that today in the church. That churches go through seasons of ministry. And God in his sovereignty will bring in particular leaders with different gift sets to accomplish his, his purpose in those particular seasons. God brought Pastor Bill in for a long season, a great season, and God accomplished his work through him in that season. And now there's a new season ahead. And you don't need another Pastor Bill. You need a new leader, and he, God is going to determine and tell you who that, what kind of leader is needed. It's an awesome thing that in Christ's church, we have a God who leads us and in each season of ministry provides the kind of leadership we need. And this is actually why your leaders are having you do the uh, church assessment right now, the survey. That's one of the ways you can ask the question of what's God doing in this church right now? Where is God leading us in the future? Therefore, what kind of leader do we need for the particular season we have at hand? Great opportunity for God to speak in and through his church. Now, the last section here in uh, verses 12 to 17, um, I'll tell you at first, uh, struck me as odd when I first read it, and it may you as well. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. 
If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Uh, Interesting section. Paul has been talking to us about expectations for leaders in the church, then the nature of his church, then how different leaders accomplish his purposes in the church. And now he's talking about the judgment of those leaders. And we say, well, why at this point does Paul write to the Corinthians about leaders work being judged by God on that final day, the day of the Lord when Christ returns and all is revealed when the motivations of human hearts are seen. Why does he remind the Corinthian church and then us today that leaders in Christ's church will be judged? Well, remember the context of the Corinthian church. Their, their thoughts on what a good leader on what a good leader was had to do with a leader being a good performer and being able to assemble a good crowd. And I think Paul is reminding us of two things here. First of all, that God's metric of success are not our metrics of success. That what God thinks success is, is not the same thing the world thinks is success. Remember, leadership is very different in Christ's kingdom. Now, and, uh, in a worldly sense, if you've got a lot of people and you've got a lot of money, well, that seems like a successful group. In God's kingdom, that's not necessarily the case. So this makes us ask the question, what really is growth? What does God want for his church to grow in? And if you read through the New Testament, and I'm not going to take the time to go here, but you can mark this down. Ephesians chapter 4 is one of the most clearest articulations of how God uses leaders to bring about the kind of growth he wants. He says that God gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. So he gives the church leadership, and he says, so that, so that the church will build itself up in love that there's an equipping going on, that the church begins to grow in love, grow in maturity, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. It's the spiritual life of Jesus that grows within us. Now, you could have a lot of people who don't have much of Jesus, and that would not be success in God's book. Success in God's book is a lot of Jesus and his people, that the fruit of the Spirit comes out of us in our places of work, in our neighborhood, that we are oozing the spirit of Jesus through our lives. And so a pastor's role is to help equip people, to grow people up with that kind of character. And that happens through teaching, that happens through modeling, that happens through mentoring, that happens through counsel. God's metric of success are not human metrics. He references there being different kinds of building material, you got really costly good stuff, you know, wood, precious stone, metal, and you got the cheap stuff, wood, hay, straw. And I think we have uh, two groups here. One group, you know, is expensive, takes time to form stone. Um, the other stuff is much cheaper and quicker to work with. And Paul is trying to say the real stuff of the kingdom takes time. It's hard work. 
but it lasts. A little while ago, um, the world was really caught up in the story unfolding when the Notre Dame Cathedral burned. And when it did, I thought of this passage immediately. It said that uh, the work will be revealed by fire, tested by fire. And when that church burned, it was striking because the shell really is still there. The whole thing was not consumed. A great deal of it actually survived because of the material they built with and how they built. Now, I believe that this church has a phenomenally strong foundation. I think already your health in the midst of this transition process speaks well to the building that has happened in this church. You have a God who has provided good leaders in your history, and you as a church have been very receptive to the Holy Spirit's leading. The foundation is clearly the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that you continue to build solidly. Now, there are many uh, churches, unfortunately, that do build fast and cheap. And one day, that will be revealed. Now, that leads to the second reason for, I think, why Paul mentions that. Why Paul mentions that God will judge human leaders. And that is because... God, uh, Paul is reminding the Corinthian church that God is the judge and the protector of the church, not us. God is the judge and protector. And I think we as humans tend to set ourselves up as judge and protector. Uh, you know, we judge what's going on in our world politically. We judge what's going on athletically in the sports world. We judge what's going on within our church. We evaluate uh, leaders, and it's not that we shouldn't have discernment, we should, but not one of us are the people to whom human leaders will give account on that final day. That's the one person, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for the church. And so we, what we need to understand is this, that God cares way more about his church than we do. And that's an awesome thing. I care a lot for Christ's church. I mean, Christ's church has formed my life. My deepest relationships are in the church. It matters a lot to me how the church functions. But my affection for Christ's church pales in comparison to Christ's affection for his church. He cares so much that he will judge leaders who build poorly. There will be a day of reckoning, but he'll take care of it. We can trust him to take care of it. The church has more than survived, the church has thrived for 2,000 years. I mean, wicked leaders outside the church have not been able to thwart God's kingdom advancing. And even poor leaders within the church have not been able to thwart the growth of Christ's church. Yes, local churches start and end, but the church universal continues to grow. There are more Christians today than there has ever been before in the earth. We can trust the judge and protector of the church to finish the work that he began. Now, I'm not saying that it does not matter who your next pastor is, okay? I'm not saying that. But I am saying it matters less than you think. It matters a whole lot who your Savior is. And if your Savior is Jesus Christ, he promises, he promises to be with you to the end of the age and to guide you on paths that are best for your life individually and your lives together as a church. So faith church, remember this, you are God's temple. 
You are God's dwelling place together. You belong to him because you were bought with the blood of Jesus. He cares for you more than you can ever comprehend. He now indwells you with his Holy Spirit. And the spirit of the living God is here to give you wisdom, to give you guidance, to give you power for ministry. And God will provide a pastor for this next next, uh, season of church ministry. But he himself is the great shepherd of the sheep. So look to him and trust in him. Will you stand and uh, join me as we close in prayer? I'm going to close with a prayer from uh, Ephesians chapter 3. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. God's best to you all. Have a wonderful Mother's Day.